This is the uh, conspiracy guy. The New York Times this morning breathlessly announced, top of the page, banner headline, Trump appealed to Comey to halt inquiry of Flynn. Ex-FBI chief noted request in memo. I hope you can let this thing go. Washington, President Trump asked the FBI Director James B. Comey to shut down the federal investigation into Mr. Trump's former national security advisor, Michael T. Flynn, in an Oval Office meeting in February, according to a memo Mr. Comey wrote shortly after the meeting. I hope you can let this go, the president told Mr. Comey, according to the memo. The documentation of Mr. Trump's request is the clearest evidence that the president has tried to directly influence the Justice Department and FBI investigation into links between Mr. Trump's associates and Russia. Other stories? Calls Mount to hear more from Comey. Washington, members of Congress from both parties escalate calls on Tuesday for the former FBI director, James B. Comey, to appear before them after reports that President Trump had asked him to drop an investigation into Michael T. Flynn, the former national security advisor. Democrats were aggressive in seeking new hearings and an independent investigation. Republicans on the whole reserved judgment until they learned more or heard from Mr. Comey himself. Another. Secrets President Baird to Russia said to come from Israeli source, Washington. The classified intelligence that President Trump discussed in a meeting last week with Russian officials at the White House was provided by Israel, according to a current and former American official familiar with how the United States obtained the information. The revelation added a potential diplomatic complication to an episode that has renewed questions about how the White House handlers handle sensitive intelligence. Sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? Unless you actually have paid attention and knew that back on January 23rd, the Washington Post published, FBI reviewed Flynn's calls with Russia ambassador but found nothing illicit. The FBI in late December reviewed intercepts of communication between the Russian ambassador of the United States and retired Lieutenant General Michael T. Flynn, national security advisor to then-President-elect Trump, but has not found any evidence of wrongdoing or illicit ties to the Russian government, U.S. officials said. So why wouldn't it be appropriate if the FBI has already cleared Flynn for Trump to ask the director, isn't it time to shut things down? What, does the New York Times not read the Washington Post? Is this supposed to be secret information? It's absurd. The situation with regard to the highly classified intelligence is even more interesting. Wayne Madsen has spelled it out. Intelligent sharing brouhaha has more to do with protecting Israel. Official Washington was all aflutter in the late afternoon of May 15th with news that President Trump shared highly sensitive intelligence from a close Middle East ally with visiting Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov and Russian Ambassador to the U.S. Sergei Kislyak. The, United, the National Security Council and other White House staff requested the Washington Post, New York Times, and other press outlets not to provide details of the intelligence Trump is said to have shared with his Russian visitors. However, in a tweet sent on May 16th, Trump wrote, As president, I wanted to share with Russia at an openly scheduled White House meeting, which I have the absolute right to do, facts pertaining to terrorism and airline flight safety. 
humanitarian reasons. Plus, I want Russia to greatly step up their fight against ISIS and terrorism. What was learned was that Israel provided the United States with intelligence on a planned terrorist attack by the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant. The U.S. intelligence community then slapped the intelligence with a sensitive compartmented intelligence code word, restricting it from wide access within the intelligence community. Details of the ISIL terror plant had already leaked out, and it was pretty much in plain sight. Apparently, the Israelis had a mole inside an ISIL bomb-making unit located in a Syrian town still occupied by the terrorist group. The Israeli agent reported he had witnessed ISIL constructing bombs in laptop computers. That intelligence was used as justification by the Trump administration to order the Transportation Security Administration to ban laptop computers from passenger cabins on flights to the United States originating from specific Middle Eastern airports. That ban has now been extended to U.S.-bound flights from Europe. Passengers with laptops are required to check them with their baggage. In 2015, ISIL placed an online advertisement looking for bomb makers to travel to Syria and join the group. The advert was run by British ISIL operative Abdul Salid al-Bhutani, whose actual name is Omar Hussein. It is ISIL-related online items like these that are discovered by the Israeli intelligence-linked Search for International Terrorist Entities, S-I-T-E, which is run from Washington, D.C., and published as news by the major media. Israel and its supporters in the United States are livid about Trump sharing the intelligence with the Russians. National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster and his deputy, Dina Pohl, are insisting the report about Trump blabbing to the Russians is not true. Yet they also asked the media not to publish details about the story. The reason for Israel's and its supporters' angst about the intelligence disclosure is that this is yet another example of Israel's rather close relationship with ISIL, a group that has murdered Americans, Middle Eastern Christians, Shias, Alwites, moderate Sunnis, Yazidis, and nationals of American allies. The fact that Israeli intelligence could place an informant so close to an ISIL bomb-making operation is testimony to the Israel-ISIL relationship. Former Israeli Defense Minister Moshe Yalon said that last November, ISIL apologized for the Israeli to the Israeli Defense Force after an ISIL unit exchanged fire with the IDF by mistake. The Israelis are reticent about reporting cases of friendly fire between its military and ISIL. Although it is not known in what Syrian town the laptop bomb-making factory is located, it is reasonable to believe that it is close to the Israeli-occupied Golan Heights in southwestern Syria. Wounded ISIL fighters have been transported to Israel over the 1974 Syria-Israel ceasefire disengagement line in the Golan Heights region for medical treatment, and the Golan-Syrian border has served as a practical meeting point between the Israelis and the Islamic State. Israeli logistics aid, including ISIL flags, has also been supplied by ISIL by the Israelis across the Golan Armistice Line. The Israeli ISIL cooperation in Golan makes it a much easier location from which to slip Mossad agents into ISIL ranks. As for Russia learning about the Israeli intelligence on ISIL, they likely already knew about it. 
The relationship between Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Russian President Vladimir Putin is much closer than that between Putin and Trump. Since Russian airlines fly numerous routes to the Middle East, including Israel, it is inconceivable that Israel had not already informed Moscow about the laptop pop bomb plot. So much for this hysteria coming from the New York Times, further confirmation of why I refer to it as the Langley Newsletter, further substantiation, the mainstream media is in a vicious attack Trump mode, unrelenting on every front. I had lunch with a friend, Rolf Lindgren, who observed that it is ironic that in the past, the, the media has uh, been holding the government accountable, but today it's the government holding the media accountable. It's completely and simply outrageous. In fact, just before coming down for the show, there were discussions on a television, uh, a CNN or MSNBC, no doubt, about talking about in impeachment, uh, obstruction of justice for Trump <coughs> having made the remark to Comey, which is obviously with no foundation. You'd think that the national media is incapable of doing any research whatsoever because there it was published, plain as day, January 23rd in the Washington Post, a publication not unfamiliar uh, to reporters uh, and uh, newsmen who work in and around Washington, D.C. Well, the debate continues to rage over Trump's firing of Comey, we know, of course, as I previously reported, that the Deputy Attorney General spelled out the case against Comey. The effect on Trump supporters has been rather powerful. GOP cheers Trump's firing of Comey. His support doubles. Uh, I mean, this is rather fascinating in and of itself. Republican support for firing James Comey as FBI director doubled after President Trump axed his top cop, according to a new survey. In addition, however, we have the contrary view from our organization, a Center for Constitutional Rights, Frontiers of Justice, which looks to me like a phony website for disinformation. How do we think about the Comey firing? In a move straight out of the totalitarian playbook last week, Trump fired the man in charge of the criminal investigation into his campaign's collusion with Russia. CCR has no love for James Comey or the FBI, which never has and never will serve as a check on power. This is, after all, the same FBI that has long been infiltrating and destabilizing our communities and organizations. But Trump's blatant move is a consolidation of power the likes of which we haven't seen since Nixon in the 1970s. CCR Executive Director Vince Warren dashed off a rant the night it happened. Well, we're getting a lot of stories. The New York Times... In Trump's firing of James Comey, echoes of Watergate. Let me remind you about Watergate. In that instance, Richard Nixon held uh, tape recordings made in the Oval Office that a special prosecutor, Archibald Cox, had subpoenaed. Nixon did not want to relinquish them. By the law appointing the special prosecutor, only the attorney general could remove him. Nixon directed Elliot Richardson, Attorney General, to remove him. Uh, Elliot Richardson declined and submitted his resignation. Nixon then went to the now acting Attorney General, former Deputy Attorney General, William Ruckelshaus, 
and insisted that he fire Archibald Cox. Uh, Ruckelshaus likewise declined and submitted his resignation. Richard Nixon then went to the now acting Attorney General, number three, the Solicitor General in the White House, Robert Bork, and requested that he fire him, which Robert Bork proceeded to do. Richard Nixon did not directly fire a director of the FBI at all. No firing of the director of the FBI at all. And in fact, it was because the special prosecutor was after information documents in a tape recording in Nixon's possession that he was seeking to thwart that the episode unraveled as it did. Donald Trump does not have documents and records that the FBI director was seeking. Uh, Donald Trump did directly fire the director of the FBI. But the only case we have of this happening in American history, and isn't it fascinating that none of the media are talking about it, is that Bill Clinton fired the FBI director the day before Vince Foster was found dead. This is a much more appropriate comparison. On Tuesday, Donald Trump set waves to the political community when he made the decision to fire FBI Director James Comey. While the media went on to compare Trump to Richard Nixon over the incident and Nick, hashtag Nixonian was trending Tuesday night, Nixon never fired his FBI director. In fact, only one president in the history of the United States has done this before, and that was Bill Clinton. In 1993, President Clinton ousted William Sessions as FBI director after Sessions refused to voluntarily step down amid ethical concerns. Sessions, who was appointed by Ronald Reagan, had been under investigation over an alleged tax scheme. Now, I think it's not uh, a, a difficult inference, no stretch to imagine, that uh, Sessions could have been fired to create turmoil uh, in relation to the discovery of Vince Foster, dead, shot twice in the head, who had been rolled up in a carpet and deposited at a national park. Think about it. I interviewed Lee Wanta just last night on uh, The Raw Deal on rentsradio.com, the archives of which you can find there, who reported how difficult it is to get off that second shot once you've hit yourself in the head. It, there's no question but what this death appears to be on that very long list uh, of, of those who have displeased Bill or Hillary Clinton and wound up dying in obvious blatant ways or more subtle uh, fashion. R r unbelievable. Then we have the venerable Bob Schaefer. What? Bob Schaefer sees parallels to Kennedy assassination and Comey firing. If comparing the James Comey firing to Watergate isn't enough, why not move on to the Kennedy assassination? That's apparently the thinking of 80-year-old journalist Bob Schaefer on Friday. Appearing on CBS this morning to bash Donald Trump is like, quote, something out of a Godfather movie. He first connected the president's actions in the Russia investigation to the murder of JFK. Schaefer bewildered his audience by suggesting, quote, there are many parallels to Watergate, but I have to tell you, I think all the way back to the Kennedy assassination to draw parallels. The veteran journalist stretched. I was there, as you know. I have always felt that if Lee Harvey Oswald had been put on trial, 
a lot of these conspiracy theories that are still circulating today would have been put at rest then. One can sort of see what Schaefer was aiming for in relation to dispelling conspiracies about the Russian investigation, but it's still a bizarre comparison to draw. The former Face the Nation anchor took on face value claims disputed by the White House that Trump had demanded loyalty from Comey. Well, let me just point out that even uh, suggesting that if Lee Oswald hadn't been killed uh, and had been put on trial, we would have known more of the truth. It would unlikely to have been anything that confirmed Bob Schaefer's own fervent belief that Lee Oswald was a lone demanded gunman, a matter that in my research, where my fourth book on JFK is about to appear within the next 10 days or so, uh, that, you know, there, JFK himself was hit at least four times. He was hit in the back by a shot fired from the top of the county records building, five and a half inches below the collar to the right of the spinal column. He was hit in the throat by a shot fired from inside the triple underpass, the pass of the windshield, where he's clutching his throat in the famous photograph taken by James Ike Alchins, where you can actually see the bullet hole in the windshield, a small white spiral nebula with a dark hole in the center where JFK's left ear would be if his left ear were visible, where he's clutching his throat. The Secret Service are looking around as, that, as though they haven't a clue as to what's going on. In the background, in the doorway, is a figure that's been much disputed in terms of his identity, where Harold Weisberg, for example, and also Jim Carrison, believe it or not, both had concluded was Lee Oswald looking out at the motorcade as it passed by. Indeed, th for those who have done any research at all, it turns out that Will Fritz, in the notes he kept from his interrogation of Lee Oswald, when he asked him where his whereabouts at the time of the shooting, he explained he was out with Bill Shelley in front, where Bill Shelley was one of his supervisors in the book depository building. We've been able to determine on the basis of the height, the weight, the build, the shirt, the t-shirt he was wearing, that they were strikingly similar to those, the height, the weight, the build, the shirt, the t-shirt Lee Oswald was wearing when he was arrested, very unlike the height, the weight, and the shirt that his co-worker Billy Lovelady, whom the government insists was this figure in the doorway, who himself described himself as two to three inches shorter, 15 to 20 pounds heavier, and where when the FBI invited him in on the 29th of February, 1964, wearing the shirt he'd worn at the time, he came in wearing a short sleeve, red and white, vertically striped shirt. Totally different than the richly textured, worn shirt, long sleeve on doorman. We have not only been able to establish that it was Lee Oswald in the doorway in relation to the alternative here, but Larry Revere has done brilliant new work where he found suitable photographs to create GIFs feeding in Oswald's face behind the features of the doorman and of Billy Lovelady, the same, feeding his features in behind the image on the doorman. Lee Oswald is a perfect fit. Billy Lovelady isn't. The ears are wrong. The chin is wrong. The nose is wrong. It wasn't Billy Lovelady. Further confirmation, it was Lee Oswald, which means that not only was he not the lone de de demented shooter, he can't have even been one of the gunmen, 
and to complete the hits sustained by JFK after the driver, William Greer, pulled the limousine to the left and to a halt. JFK was hit in the back of the head by one of three shots fired from the Dow Tex by an anti-Castro Cuban, where the weapon is so unreliable, ha having been known as a humanitarian rifle in World War II for never actually harming anyone on purpose. One hit, he slumped forward, Jackie eased him back up and was looking him right in the face when he was hit in the right temple by a frangible or exploding bullet fired from the intersection of the triple underpass and the picket fence, which set up shockwaves that blew his brains out the back of his head to the left rear with such impact that when they uh, hit uh, Officer Bobby Hargis riding there, he initially thought he himself had been shot. So Bob Schaefer is massively ignorant. It's willful ignorance. If he did any research, he'd know better. To draw a parallel with JFK is frankly absurd. So what's going on? What stories out there are being concealed? Well, here's a Jim Dandy. Private, family's private investigator, there is evidence Seth Rich had contact with WikiLeaks prior to his death. Just too much shy of the one-year anniversary of Rich's death, Fox 5 has learned there is new information that could prove these theorists right. Rod Wheeler, a private investigator hired by the Rich family, suggests there is tangible evidence on Rich's laptop that confirms he was communication, communicating with WikiLeaks prior to his death. Now questions have been raised on why D.C. police, the lead agency on this murder investigation for the past 10 months, have insisted this was a robbery gone bad when there appears to be no evidence to suggest that. Wheeler, a former D.C. police homicide detective, is running a parallel investigation into Rich's murder. He said he believes there is a cover-up and that the police department has been told to back down from the investigation. The police department nor the FBI have been forthcoming, said Wheeler. They haven't been cooperating at all. I believe that the answer to solving his death lies on that computer, which I believe is either in the police department or at the FBI. I have been told both. When we asked Wheeler if his sources have told him there's information that links Rich to WikiLeaks, he said, Absolutely, yeah, that's confirmed. It appears that police investigators were told to stand down from the case despite the fact that no real investigation ever took place. According to Wheeler, there's tangible evidence tying Rich directly to WikiLeaks, and it may be sitting on Seth's personal laptop, which is reportedly being held either by the D.C. police or the FBI. Such an implication would be shocking. It would suggest that multiple high-level players with something to lose as a result of the leaked disclosures may have been involved. Wheeler also told us, I have a source inside the police department that has looked at me straight in the eyes and said, Rod, we were told to stand down on this case and I can't share any information with you. Now that is highly unusual for a murder investigation, especially from a police department. Again, I don't think it comes from the chief's office, but I do believe there's a correlation between the mayor's office and the DNC, and that is the information that will come out. In fact, there are multiple reports of this taking place now. Conspiracy and rather Seth Rich may have been killed for ties to WikiLeaks. We were told to stand down on this case. In fact, as I've reported before, 
although the DNC maintains it was a, rob a robbery. He had his wallet, his money, his credit cards, his watch. Obviously, it was no robbery. An excellent piece about this has been published by Dr. Eowyn, who maintains a Fellowship of the Minds blog, which I've republished on my own at jamesfetzer.blogspot.com. Dr. Eowyn, Arkansas. Seth Rich was murdered for leaking DNC emails to WikiLeaks. In the midst of the Democratic National Convention last July, WikiLeaks spoiled the de demon rats love fest by releasing some 2,000 Democratic National Committee emails. Those emails show the DNC to be thoroughly corrupt. Long before Hillary Clinton won the 2016 Democratic primary elections and became her party's presumpting presidential nominee, the DNC had become her tool, colluding with journalists to shield her and working to undermine her Democratic opponent, Bernie Sanders. As I have previously reported, uh, the Seth Rich appears to have become disillusioned with the sabotaging of Bernie Sanders' campaign, gave his treasure trove of DNC emails to Craig Murray, an intelligence analyst, uh, UK ambassador to Uzbekistan, head of a college in front of Julian Assange, who proceeded to publish them. Uh, Seth was uh, murdered because of it. Uh, it does appear that was the reason retaliation without both Seth, uh, both uh, Julian Assange and, and Craig Murray have uh, asserted that they knew the leaker, that it was not a Russian, uh, and although he, not acknowledging his source, uh, Julian Assange has offered a $20,000 reward for information on the murder of Seth Rich. Uh, the, the reason why the D.C. police have been reluctant appears to be the following, that the present chief was very uh, deeply involved in Pizzagate activities. Uh, the D.C. police have never investigated complaints against Comet Ping Pong or Besta Pizza. They've simply let it go and faked it, faked it. I mean, this is very deep because it exposes that the whole issue of Russian hacking was a uh, was a, a, a charade, a facade that was made up by Hillary Clinton insiders, as I've also previously reported, shattered inside Hillary Clinton's doom campaign, reveals how Hillary Clinton completely concocted the Russian meddling fake news within 24 hours of her concession speech. The book by Jonathan Allen and uh, Amy Parnes shows how uh, Clinton blamed her election defeat on the FBI investigation into her private emails, Russian hacking, and Trump's supposed support from white nationalists. The authors detail how Hillary went out of her way to pass blame for a stunning loss on Comey and Russia. She wanted to make sure all these narratives got spun the right way. A longtime Hillary confident is quoted as saying, the book further highlights how her Russia blame game plan was hatched by senior campaign staffers John Podesta and Robbie Mook less than 24 hours after she conceded. Quote, that strategy had been set within 24 hours of her concession speech. Mook and Podesta assembled her communications team at the Brooklyn headquarters to engineer the case that the election wasn't entirely on the up and up. For a couple of hours with Shake Shack containers littering the room, they went over the script they would pitch to the press and the public already Russian hacking was a centerpiece of the argument. This gives you some indication of the quality of Hillary Clinton, her willingness to throw the nation into a complete turmoil, uh, chasing a wild goose in order to excuse her hopelessly inadequate campaign, which 
even Michael Moore as dedicated a, a, a liberal as we have on the face of planet Earth predicted Hillary would lose because she was ne neglecting the working class families in the Rust Belt states of Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin, which is actually exactly how it played out. Today, uh, Hannity, Sean Hannity announced that he is now convinced that Seth Rich was the source of the leaks. That means his story is finally going to get the publicity it deserved. How many weeks have I been reporting it here? And where, to my astonishment, the media are still featuring Robbie Mook to comment on this case uh, about the Russian hacking to support the phony story he and John Podesta simply made up. That's the state of the Democratic Party, as corrupt as it could possibly be, trying to fabricate phony stories to excuse their miserable loss in an election everyone had predicted they were going to win. Paul B., right back. This is The Conspiracy Guy. Did you know that the license for the Pulse Club expired in 2013? That its legal occupancy was only 150? That if 50 had been killed and 53 wounded, there should have been abandoned cars all over the place? Did you know that the Dallas photograph of a series of officers behind a large wall was photoshopped? That they had to increase the size of the wall to fit the officers in? That they had orange blank adapters on their weapons? Did you know that Hillary has used body doubles? One following her collapse at the 9-11 event was two inches shorter, weighed 35 to 40 pounds less, and looked at least 10 years younger? A Meg Ryan type. A second on the plane to Greensboro was taller and slimmer and looked more like Meryl Streep. We approve it all. Don't let yourself be played. Check out, from Orlando to Dallas and beyond, moonrockbooks.com, moonrockbooks.com. In addition to Seth Rich's death, multiple others associated with Julian Assange and WikiLeaks have also died. For example, renowned lawyer who represented Julian Assange died after being struck by a train in West Hempstead. Published 23 April 2016. Updated 26 April 2016. One of the UK's most respected international criminal lawyers who is representing WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has died after being hit by a train in West Hampstead. Here, here is another story about it. Britain's top human rights lawyer who represented Julian Assange and worked alongside George, George Clooney's wife, Amal, dies in apparent suicide. One of Britain's top human rights lawyers who represent Julian Assange and war criminals has died in an apparent suicide. Married dad of two, John Jones, QC48, who worked alongside Hollywood actor George Clooney's wife, Amal, passed away on Monday. He acted for WikiLeaks founder Assange, 44, holed up for four years in the Ecuador embassy in London, where the Swedish government initially tried to extradite him for questioning on rape charges. Uh, this, however, is completely absurd. I don't care how despondent someone would be. The idea of committing suicide by leaping in front of a subway train is simply preposterous. There are many relatively painless ways to take your own life, a drug overdose being an obvious example. Most men who commit suicide tend to resort to firearms, shooting themselves in the head, 
which was uh, uh, the case for Vince Foster. He actually shot himself in the head twice. So, you know, this is a, a, obviously a cover-up uh, in relation to uh, uh, John Jones, excellent attorney, top of his profession, top of his game, working with George Clooney's wife, I mean, for God's sake. Others have died in relation to this. Here's another mysterious death. Activist and Sanders supporter who served papers to DNC on fraud case found dead August 4th, 2016. On July 3rd, 2016, Sean Lucas and filmmaker Ricardo Villaba served the DNC Service Corporation and Chairperson Debbie Wasserman Schultz at DNC's headquarters in Washington, D.C. in the fraud class action suit against the Democratic Party on behalf of Bernie Sanders supporters. Sean Lucas was thrilled about serving the papers to the DNC before Independence Day. There's a video online, You Got Served, DNC and Debbie Wasserman Schultz. This was before WikiLeaks released documents proving the DNC was working against the Sanders campaign during the 2016 primary. Sean Lucas was found dead this week. Quote, we contacted Lucas's employer on 4 August 2016 to ask whether there was any truth to the rumor. According to an individual with whom we spoke at that company, Sean Lucas died on 2 August 2016. The audibly and understandably shaken employee stated that interest in the circumstances of Lucas's death had prompted a number of phone calls and other queries, but the company had not yet ascertained any details about Lucas's cause of death and were unable to confirm anything more than the fact that he had passed away. An unconfirmed report holds that Lucas was found lying on the bathroom floor by his girlfriend when he returned home. she returned home on the evening of 2 August 2016. Paramedics responding to her 9-11 call found no signs of life. Uh, this follows the death of 22-year-old Democratic staffer Seth Conrad Rich, who was murdered in Washington, D.C. on July 8th. The killer or killers appear to have taken nothing from their victim, leaving behind his wallet, watch, and phone. Shortly after the killing, uh, Redditors and social media users were pursuing a lead, saying that Rich was en route to the FBI the morning of his murder, apparently intending to speak to special agents about an ongoing court case, possibly involving the Clinton family. And here's another. On June 22, 2016, former UN official John Ash accidentally crushed his own throat and died a week before he was scheduled to testify against the Clintons and the Democratic Party. John Ash died before his court appearance. He crushed his throat while exercising. It's all just a strange coincidence, don't you imagine? This is completely outrageous. Completely outrageous. I have already reminded you what I have been reporting for weeks now, to wit that a new book reveals Hillary Clinton hatched the Russian hysteria to cover for her losing which has now absorbed the press 24-7 for month after month after month and continues to be banding about to this very day in spite of the fact that we know how the emails were leaked to Julian Assange, that there was no Russian hacking, and that the Russian hacking meme was made up by John Podesta and Robbie Mook to explain away her stunning electoral loss. But this is not the only gross deception perpetrated by the Clinton campaign. 
Many of you may remember that on September 11, 2016, as Hillary Clinton left a memorial and stood curbside waiting for her car, a man paying tribute at the 9-11 Museum happened to have his camera on as Hillary walked past. Excited that he was in the presence of the woman who could be the next president, he kept recording. The video he captured may have changed the very course of U.S. history because, of course, it showed her collapsing and being more or less unceremoniously thrown into the vehicle, which appears to be uh, an ambulance disguised as a luxury SUV. Now, uh, Zdenek Gazda, a legal immigrant from the Czech Republic, has been celebrated as a hero for recording and quietly tweeting the video for the rest of the world to see. His actions all but confirm what reporters and investigators in alternative media had been screaming from the rooftops for a month, that Hillary Clinton was having serious health problems and was not fit to serve as President of the United States. She was taken, it appears, back to Chelsea Clinton's apartment, where Chelsea already had a very fine deluxe apartment in New York, but purchased yet another, which just happened to have on the same floor a private medical facility, which it appears was converted to be exclusively for a single patient, Hillary Rodham Clinton. They apparently became so concerned that public anxiety would grow were Hillary not to make a public appearance. They sent out a woman who is two to three inches too short, 15 to 20 pounds minimally lighter, at least 10 years younger, limber, spry, pleasant, most unlike Hillary Clinton. I, in fact, she reminds me so much of the actress, one of my favorites in You Got Mail, that I refer to her as the Meg Ryan double. She, she, she was not surrounded by Secret Service, she was missing her medical handler, who in the past had accompanied everywhere a large black man with a pointer to uh, indicate where she should step next. Not even Chelsea came down to see her off. If you look, uh, the, the, the many, many differences. Uh, Hillary has larger cheekbones. Uh, the, the, this double has larger cheekbones, a smoother neck, a smaller stomach. Her coat fits her better than Hillary. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Even USA was forced to pick up and publish an article. The internet thinks Hillary Clinton has a body double. Well, I actually cited an article of my own on my blog in the USA Today comments section. Will the real Hillary Clinton please stand up? Because it was not just that the internet thinks. But it was provable, obvious, that this was a body double. Indeed, one of the best comments on it showed a photograph of the real Hillary, who's about twice as wide and maybe 40 pounds heavier than her double. We can all breathe a sigh of relief. Hillary's body double is in good health. Now, it happened that within a couple of days, yet another body double was on the plane to Greensboro. This one is taller than Hillary. Uh, younger than Hillary, has the wrong nose and earlobes, skinny leg, uh, wrong forehead, lacking the two moles that Hillary has at the right corner of her mouth. Uh, this was obvious. For the purpose of comparison, uh, I published authentic photographs of Hillary com to compare with the others. They aren't even close. This is stunning because it meant Hillary had a second body double. 
Voice analysis has confirmed the obvious that these are not the same person. So here we have the real Hillary compared to her Meg Ryan double. And because this one reminds us of our nation's leading actress, I refer to her as her Meryl Streep double. Believe it or not, however, that was not the end of it. Even during the campaign, they used Hillary doubles, much better doubles than either of those two, even participating in a debate with Bernie Sanders. And if you can believe it, in the major rounds with Donald Trump, you have a Hillary Clinton double. She's thinner, younger, much more vibrant, much healthier, not Hillary Clinton. This is completely outrageous. You can find a, a video online about it uh, where the author makes the point that there's a constant uh, eye teeth ratio between a, a parallel line between the pupils of your, your eyes and a line drawn beneath your upper teeth. Hillary Clinton has a 1.12 uh, eye teeth ratio, but her stand-in has a 1.06 eye teeth ratio, not the same woman. It's very, very obvious when you look at the comparisons. I did a, a presentation at the Free Your Main conference here in April, which should be appearing, in which I went through the evidence. Check it out. I have a new YouTube about to appear. I'll announce the link when it's up. But get this, in February, in February, the New York Times published an, a, a, a reporter by the name of Markle, Mark, Mark, Michael Paulson Hillary Clinton's in the house. For Broadway audiences, she's become a familiar sight and another reason to applaud. In many ways, she is a typical Broadway audience member, a woman of a certain age, affluent and highly educated, living in suburban New York. But there's one big difference. She was almost president of the United States, and he published multiple photographs of Hillary in the house, except, as I wrote to him it, to explain these are interesting stories, but those are not Hillary Clinton. You would think he would have been struck by the fact that she wasn't accompanied by your Secret Service. But that's precisely because they're not allowed to protect someone who is not duly assigned and doubles aren't part of the protection requirement. So anyone who has any doubt about the scurrilous character of Hillary Clinton and her campaign, check it out. I now believe, by the way, after having reviewed all of the data, that the reports that were broadcast but then aborted on the 9-11-2016 from three different sources that Hillary Clinton had died were correct. They came out of ABC New York, ABC Washington, and another local TV station in New York City. They were withdrawn it was claimed to have been a mistake. I think no such thing. They decided that Hillary was dead, but that did not mean they could not continue to use her political image to advance their agenda. And we've had nothing but this raft of doubles, uh, four or five altogether, I surmise, if you take into account those at the Broadway theaters even more. It's completely outrageous. It verges on the obscene, but this is a legacy of Hillary Clinton and her staff, John Podesta and Robbie Moak, who've had us chasing our tails over a story about Russian hacking 
that they simply made up. Here's a story that has been much denied but appears to confirm what we have believed in the past. Uh, remember how Donald reported his belief that he'd been under surveillance by the, by the Obama administration. Here's a new report. Obama sought NSA intel on thousands of Americans, including Trump campaign, during the 2016 election. The Obama administration sought unredacted intel on thousands of Americans during the 2016 election, including those in President Trump's campaign and transition team, according to a new report. Quote, during his final year in office, President Obama's team significantly expanded efforts to search national security agency intercepts for information about Americans, distributing thousands of intelligence reports across government with the unredacted names of U.S. residents during the midst of a divisive 2016 presidential election, reported Circa on Thursday. The data made available this week by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence provides the clearest evidence to date of how information accidentally collected by the NSA overseas about Americans was subsequently searched and disseminated after President Obama loosened privacy protections to make such sharing easier in 2011 in the name of national security. A court affirmed his order. The NSA is currently prohibited from spying directly on U.S. citizens. However, it is reported that, quote, in all, government officials conducted 30,355 searches in 2016 seeking information about Americans in NSA intercept metadata, which include telephone numbers and email addresses. The activity increased by 27.5% over the prior year, according to the report, and more than tripled the 9,500 such searches that occurred in 2013, the first year such data was kept. We have additional confirming reports. Judge Napolitano. Scalia told me he often thought Supreme Court was being surveyed under Obama. Judge Andrew Napolitano said Monday on Fox Business that Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia told him he often thought the Supreme Court was being surveyed under the Obama administration from the Gateway Pundit. Judge Andrew Napolitano, Fox News senior judicial analyst, went on Fox Business Network on Monday to discuss allegations Senator Rand Paul and another senator were under surveillance by the Obama administration. Napolitano also dropped a bomb on the Obama administration spying on the U.S. Supreme Court. And here is the story to which he alludes from the political insider. Rand Paul claims Obama spied on multiple senators. May 15th, Senator Rand Paul, who two weeks ago demanded the White House and intelligence community provide evidence whether he was under surveillance by the Obama administration, has dropped another bombshell allegation. Powell now claims he wasn't the only senator to be under surveillance by the former administration. I know one other senator who has already confided to me that he was surveyed by the Obama administration, including his phone calls, Paul told Fox News via Fox News Insider. This is the first time that Paul mentioned another senator is also concerned about the Obama administration surveillance. He said, if this proves to be true, it's a much bigger story than any allegations about collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia during the presidential election. It's about your own government spying on the opposition party, Paul said. That would be enormous if it's true. 
Paul told Fox Business News Charles Payne on Wednesday that he's asked the White House and the House and Senate Intelligence Committees to investigate. He said if the intelligence community is indeed being used for politics, it is a very, very serious crime. And as I may have mentioned before, a UK government technical paper is calling for real-time surveillance and breakable encryption for all internet users. Uh, an alleged leak of a draft technical paper prepared by the UK government contains proposals that endorse the live surveillance of British web users' online communications, it emerged last week. Civil Liberties Organization, the Open Rights Group, received the document on May 4th and decided to publish the draft, which states that telecommunications companies and internet service providers would need to provide data in near real time within one working day. The paper, first reported by The Register, also states that technology companies would be required to remove encryption from private communications and provide the raw data in an intelligible form without electronic protection. And what's being tried out in the UK will be coming to the USA. Have no doubt about it. it, it, it it's, it's embarrassing how we have so much talk about Trump-Russia collusion, which when, as I have previously reported, the White House has highlighted Clapper's lack of evidence on Trump-Russia collusion, and when Dianne Feinstein and Joe Manchin have admitted there is no evidence of the Trump-Russia collusion, when Clapper is a former director of national intelligence and Feinstein and Manchin are both members of the Senate Intelligence Committee. It's interesting to see how the so-called fact-checkers uh, check their facts. This is in relation to BolitaFact. Here are a couple of rather stunning examples. Donald Trump tweeted on Friday, May 12, 2017, says James Clapper and virtually everyone else, there is no collusion in the Russia investigation finding. What does BolitaFact publish? Donald Trump's mostly false claim that James Clapper said no collusion found in Russia probe. How can it be a false claim when that's exactly what James Clapper, Clapper said? Here's another. Democratic Texas sheriffs tell half-truth about crime in sanctuary cities when they cited an FBI uh, st crime statistics report that did not exist. According to PolitiFact, that's only a half, that's a half-truth not a whole falsehood where it becomes increasingly obvious. It becomes increasingly obvious that what PolitiFact do, is doing is spinning their evaluations uh, in the political direction they prefer. Totally biased, worthless. One propaganda outfit confirming another. Moreover, we have, on May 14th, Lindsey Graham, Trump needs to back off Russia probe, let investigation go forward. Washington, a week after a, uh, after a week of fallout from President Donald Trump's decision to fire FBI Director James Comey, Senator Lindsey Graham on Sunday advised the president to stop talking or tweeting about the ongoing investigation into Russian meddling in the 2016 election. The president needs to back off here and let the investigation go forward, Graham, Republican of South Carolina, a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee said on Meet the Press. He also said he wants to see the next leader of the FBI chosen from within the agency or someone from outside the political lane. 
Even James Clapper has gone on TV May 15th again on this week with George Stephanopoulos asserting that the U.S. government is under assault by Trump after the Comey firing. American democracy is under assault on separate fronts from President Donald Trump in Russia, the former U.S. intelligence chief warned Sunday, expressing dismay over the abrupt firing of the FBI director James Comey amid a probe into Moscow's meddling in U.S. elections and possible ties with the Trump campaign. How many times do I have to emphasize there was no Russian meddling in the campaign? Uh, we know how the DNC emails got to Julian Assange. Seth Rich paid for his act of super arrogation, going above and beyond the call of duty with his life. There was no possible contact with our voting machines because they aren't connected to the internet. They are on, all under control of the owners of the machines who have close ties with a Republican elite. And as Richard Charnin explained in my interview on The Raw Deal 1 December 2016, which you can find archived at rentsradio.com, while the election was rigged, it was rigged in favor of Hillary, and it was simply overwhelmed by the voter turnout, especially in the rural areas, that led Trump to prevail in spite of at least seven states by Charnin's estimate having been given to Hillary that were actually won by Donald Trump, including New Hampshire, Colorado, and Nevada. We do have, by the way, the report from a former assistant director of the FBI that uh, the firing of Comey was for legitimate reasons. He was fired for cause, in my view, James Kallstrom informed Breitbart News, when the referral came to the Bureau close to a year ago, Comey knew at that point, if not soon after, that the Justice Department had no interest in conducting a criminal investigation of Hillary Clinton. They would never approve a grand jury. They would never approve an indictment. Uh, he, he faults Comey for presiding over a sham investigation of Hillary from granting unnecessary immunity deals to conducting an interview of her not under oath to too slick, slickly issuing a document dump the day after the 4th of July. The FBI deviated from standard operating procedure during the investigation of the former Secretary of State's reliance on private servers to send and receive classified material. He did something the FBI never does, the former head of the FBI's New York office points out of Comey. It never discloses the charges against an unindicted person ever. Kallstrom maintains he was so out of left field, the things he did. This included citing a lack of intent on Clinton's part to rationalize, not pursuing the case further, when the relevant statute does not mention intent. Intent does not matter at all, Kallstrom explained to Breitbart. There is no intent in the statute. Nevertheless, in my opinion, there's a busload of intent. Comey angered supporters of Donald Trump when he refused to recommend charges against Mrs. Clinton in July, despite finding numerous instances of wrongdoing. When he reopened an investigation into the Democratic Party's presidential nominee less than two weeks prior to the election, Comey enraged the supporters of Mrs. Clinton, ultimately the FBI director, uh, less than four years into his 10-year term, counted few friends in either party. The cause for firing is that he took upon himself authority he didn't have, number one, Kallstrom says, of the former FBI director acting as de facto prosecutor rather than mere investigator 
Number two, he told the public that he undertook a thorough investigation. You can't put thorough and lack of a grand jury in the same sentence. He threw the reputation of the FBI under the bus. The Trump administration noted a loss of faith in Comey and the need to bolster public trust in the Bureau as reasons for the shocking dismissal of the FBI director. In the history of the FBI, just two other directors, William Sessions and L. Patrick Gray, acting as director in the wake of J. Edgar Hoover's death, left the post involuntarily at the direction of the president. He's basically a good guy, Calstrom notes of Comey. I don't think he's done this with malice aforethought. He just lacks common sense. He wasn't up for the job of FBI director. Uh, a, a good friend of mine and colleague in research on Sandy Hook, uh, 9-11, JFK, Dennis Camino wrote the following comment about the claim that he had thrown the reputation of the FBI under the bus. What reputation is that? The one where they covered up the JFK assassination, the killing of Robert F. Kennedy, the murder of Martin Luther King, the false flag in Oklahoma City, and the one on 9-11-2001, among other events of the coup d'etat, Gladio Nature, the reputation of a bunch of pricks who dance, prance around with guns and work for Israel, that reputation, fascinating stuff. I conclude with a reminder that the 29th of March, Memorial Day, is JFK's 100th birthday. And there will be an online JFK conference that very day, broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, live stream. Check it out. Go to jfkbirthday.com. jfkbirthday.com. Excellent lineup, including Barr McClellan, uh, Roger Stone, uh, William Matson Law, Larry Rivera. Uh, I will be presenting on... Uh, how and why the Zapruder film was revised. If you want uh, uh, to be updated on the latest research on JFK, this is an event you don't want to miss. You can watch it in the comfort of your own home. Check it out, jfkbirthday.com. This is The Conspiracy Guy. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>